You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back. It is 8 o'clock, which means it's the outdoor living hour. And we've changed it up recently in the last few years, and it's been very well received by our listening audience. The first Saturday of the month, we bring in the Arizona Farm Bureau talking all things agriculture. It's a, I, I've got this old number now. It's a what used to be like a seventeen billion, now like twenty twenty three point three billion. Twenty three point three billion dollar industry to the state of Arizona, and it brings uh, the gardening to the the big boys level. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a few dollars more. <laughs> and. Each month we've picked ahead of time and we put it in our home maintenance calendar what we're going to be covering. And it's designed around what is either in season or in harvest in Arizona that the listening audience could then go get from their local grocery store. Well, beef is always in harvest. Yes. <laughs> but it's National Beef Month is May. So that's why we tied tied it into uh, this The garden this month. hour. And everybody loves beef. It and makes me think of... Hi, this is Julie from Arizona Farm Bureau, but it makes me think of a weekend barbecue, and that's what we need to be doing this weekend with some beef. And it is our intent, by the end of this hour, if you listen to the whole thing, you will have a deeper understanding and appreciation of that medium-rare filet you cut up tonight with a little bit of mashed potatoes and some brown gravy. Mm. <laughs> Forget the salad. We're talking mm. beef today. <laughs> and you'll you'll have a better understanding of and, and appreciation of that meal you're enjoying and how to find it locally. And to do that, uh, each month you bring in a different guest, a different farmer, different rancher that specializes in the crop and the harvest that we're covering, and you've brought in your president today. Yes, Stephanie Smallhouse. Uh, I still say newly elected. It's starting starting to get a little bit longer, but this last November, and of course, her and her husband are partnered in Carlink Ranch, and there's no one better to talk about beef than our ranchers, so I'm going to just shut up this hour and let Stephanie do most of the talking. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Yeah, I'm, I am, I'm president of Arizona Farm Bureau, and we cover every commodity, but I'm a little bit biased towards beef, so I think every month should be beef month. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where... Well, you, you, you eat beef every day, but why not? I do. <laughs> I would recommend it. Um, yeah, when I tell you a funny story, when we, when my husband and I first got married, uh, I had been working in a, I worked through college in a kind of a fancy deli uh, place and learned to make a lot of fancy things. And so I think it was the, literally the first week we were married, I, I toiled over, you know, these fancy dishes that I had learned to make and we sat down to eat and and it was lunch. It wasn't even dinner. It was lunch. And, and uh, I kind of look, watching him, looking at him, and he's eating away and eats the whole thing. And I look at him and I said, well, what would you think of that? And he goes, it didn't have any meat in it. <laughs> he said, I pretty much like meat in every meal. <laughs> so that was a learning experience. But, yeah, so anyway. So was he the rancher originally? Were you the rancher? How did y'all get started in beef? No, uh, my husband is a fifth-generation rancher um, in the same exact spot. So there are a lot of generational ranchers, but it's hard to stay in the same spot sometimes. And so we've been in Reddington, Arizona, along the San Pedro River since 1884. And so uh, my kids will be the sixth generation to wow. operate and run the ranch. So Since 18 what? 1884. 1884. What was going on in Arizona in 1884? We were 
you're, you're 30 years from statehood still. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it wasn't long off of the, the fame of Tombstone and things like that. So. And that was post-Civil War, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. The hookers were, were uh, into the Sierra Bonita area yep, and yep. the Sulphur Valley Springs, and y'all were moving into the San Pe- I mean, There's no easy way to get to Reddington. I want, I, I want turn the microphone cam back on. Everybody raise your hand that's been to Reddington. <laughs> Reddington, Arizona, raise your hand. Even I have been to I Reddington, see, Arizona. I see two hands, and they're both in the studio. There's no easy way to get there. No, there isn't, and that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> it, it keeps the riffraff out, but uh, or, or the riffraff in, depending on how you want to look at it. But, uh, but yeah, we uh, we just recently got uh, about half of our road paved. So up until last year, we were traveling almost twenty miles of dirt to get out of there. So, and I have to say, the last one of the last times I went to Reddington, Arizona, was to your one hundred thirtieth anniversary of the ranch. So that was one reason to get on that twenty mile dirt road. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, th- that's exactly what we love about this hour and bringing in the people that have been doing it for five generations. You can't get more experience mm. than that when we're covering uh, one of these commodities in the ag department in the field. And beef today, so we'll get to the market later. Obviously, that's that's the end result, market and what you get per pound per beef. But right. where does the process start? we got to back up You know, it is a long beginning. process. A lot of people, you know, I— go into classrooms sometimes and talk to kids about uh you know where their food comes from and when we're talking about beef something that always you know leaves their mouth wide open is when i tell them how long it took to get that dollar hamburger at mcdonald's um so it's you know it's like a two-year investment on on the part of of those that are working on it and and then it costs a buck at mcdonald's (laughs) so it's kind of shocking sometimes but we're what you would call a cow-calf operation um which means and in the part of the of the process chain for beef uh, we raise our own calves. Um, we have our own cow herd, English cross, which is Angus Hereford cross. And uh, and so we start out there with, with focusing on genetics um, so that we're raising the kind of animal that we think is it will result in the best product for the consumer. And, uh, and so we calve year-round because we can do that in Arizona. That's one of the benefits of ranching in Arizona. A lot of people think, oh, this is the desert. It must be difficult to ranch here. But there are a lot of things about it that make it easier. The climate, the dry climate, you don't have to worry um, as much about things folks in the Midwest have to worry about. Less disease, yep. less... Yeah, as Parasites. Long as, as long as we've got wells that are working. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Water is of paramount importance. But uh, but the, the grasses that we have in the desert are high nutritive value. I... I have a question. Sure. It was just a few years ago. We had like one of the wettest winter years. Wherever you went in Arizona, it looked like Ireland. There was just green grass everywhere. Now, but you can't manage your herd or your property for those years. This year, we've had probably one of the driest, brownish years ever. I mean, how many, where I come from, it's how many head per acre. Yeah. <laughs> How do y'all decide the herd size for your property? Well, there's a lot of thought that goes into it, actually, and it also depends on um, where you're ranching because there's still a diverse um, environment in Arizona, even from the northern part of this to the southern part. But for our, our operation personally, um, we monitor our rangeland every year. We do range um, monitoring transects and monitor our grass so that we can see whether our grasses are on an upward trend, a downward trend, or they're just stable. 
And a lot of it's just common sense. I mean, if you've been ranching for a long time, you know when you need to rest the grasses and when you're in a drought and what you need to do. Um, I'm glad you brought that up with us because we're somewhat unique in Arizona because Andy's um, grandfather started, or his, his great-great-grandfather had some farmland along the San Pedro, but his um, father put in a lot more farmland along the San Pedro. And one of the reasons for that was so that during times of drought, which we knew were inevitable, we would be able to bring our cattle off of the rangeland during very important times and graze on our farmland. And that's still what we do today. So we rotate our cattle, which is not uncommon. Most ranchers um, do that. You rotate your cattle so that the production of the grasses, um, you get the most seed benefit out of that. And then you put the cattle back up after the rains and, and after the seed is disseminated. And so you just, you, you're basically managing grass even more than you're managing cattle. I know I know cattlemen that move their entire herd up to the Nutrioso, Hannigan Meadow, Alpine area. Yeah, if you're ranching— for the, You know, for the winter, for the yeah, summer. Yeah, if you're ranching in a colder climate, um, like uh, Friends and Springerville and things like that, they're moving cattle back and forth in between their upper range in the summer and their lower range in the winter. If you want to see the small house ranch car link and get a real quick visual of it, Friends of Arizona Farm Bureau has a stash of videos. We're releasing them on average about every week. And one of the ones that we released was Ranching is a Family Affair, the small house family. And you'll get to see this 130-plus-year-old farm and ranch and get a sense because they're actually moving some of the cattle in a few of the clips that we show. So we've got an Angus Hereford cross that, and what, what, what did you call it, in English? Yeah, it's, it's English cattle, basically. So it's your Hereford, your Angus, um, breeds like that. And that's your primary uh, breed that y'all raise and, and harvest at the Carlink Ranch? At the Carlink Ranch, yeah. yeah. We, we have a little bit of, um, a few years ago, we introduced um, some Brangus genetics, which is a Brahmin um, breed, which is a desert breed. Um, and so we've got a little bit of that in our herd just to make them a little bit tougher for this climate. Because most of the time you're going to see English crosses cattle in, in the Midwest and stuff. But Arizona's transitioning quite a bit to that, to that breed because we're learning how to manage them in this environment. And you say y'all calf all year long. So this is open range, do you, or do you have a, a stable barn or designated pasture for your mamas that are getting ready to calf. We're able to do that. Not everybody in Arizona does that. Um, it's not it's not common. Um, the reason that we do that is because we have so much infrastructure on the ranch. So we have corrals, um, we have fencing, we have water so that we can move our cattle um, and our climate also. So our cattle can move around year round and they're easy to manage. So we're not doing like your what used to be your once a year great roundups. Uh, we have cowboys that ride every single day and they're gathering and branding. And so it's, it's preference for us. Some ranchers will still tell you that's not a good idea, but it works well for us. So. And you mentioned infrastructure. It is uh, incredible, the cost of infrastructure. And I'm not even talking a big operation like y'all. I'm just talking, you know, for, for our seven horses and our roping steers and our beef cattle, the infrastructure cost is uh, endless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would. You think infrastructure? Well, this is the foundation. We're done. Well, the maintenance for the infrastructure right. behind that, especially with animals, they love to tear things up. They do. They do. Um, and so it's 
I would I would agree with that. And the fact that if you think about just what it takes to keep up your own yard, well, try keeping up, you know, 14 miles of fence and several different corrals and pipelines. We that's probably I think what we spend the most time in is managing our pipelines um, and our water sources. So you you could have your day scheduled. Here's what I'm going to get done, and you find out the pipeline's broken, the well pump's broken, something needs fit, and it, it could throw off days. Oh yeah, I, I, my husband and I have different ways of looking at things. I'm generally more organized, and I plan things out very well, and and he's not, and so we go back and forth on this. And he says, he said that's nice if you know what's going to break every day, but I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he kind of gets, uh, he gets on daily detours. So you, you just got to wake up and that's be ready right. to roll. Be ready to go. So that's true. All right, we're talking with uh, Stephanie Smallhouse and Julie Murphy from the Arizona Farm Bureau. It's National Beef Month, and we're talking beef in this hour, the Outdoor Living Hour here at Rosie on the House. If you uh, happen to have a question or curiosity or something piques your interest about beef or Arizona farming, you can join the conversation at one 767 4348 one rosie or you can text questions to 411-923. You can also email at rosie on the house.com cutting up the meat slicing dicing cubing mixing cutting up the meat around the thin pan and please leave it up to gary to find something <laughs> theme related for our intro music joined with julie murphy of the arizona farm bureau the spokeswoman i guess is the appropriate term yeah, it works. Um, hey, you works you also. And hey, you yeah. uh, is a comes from a long line of cotton farmers here yes. in Arizona. Yep. Uh, in fact, uh, my parents we partnered. My older brother and I partnered with my parents through two thousand and five, and mainly cotton, wheat, and alfalfa. By the way, I wanted to mention because I f- forgot that part. Go to Friends of Arizona Farm Bureau Facebook page, and that's where that list of videos so that you can see the small house. The small house is in action on their ranch. At the Carlink Ranch on the backside of the Catalina Mountains. You, you were talking earlier uh, about you're an hour from anywhere, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. But as the crow flies, it's not that far over into Tucson. No, I if if I had wings, I could be in Tucson in about twenty minutes. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's fine though. It's worth it to live out there because it's it's one of the most beautiful places you'll see in Arizona. So it's it's worth the drive. And we were talking about the calving of y'all's herd from the time of calf. What's that length of time then to harvest? What are you looking for uh, at, at the point you're ready to sell to market? Well, the way it works on our place is we sell our calves anywhere between 400, we call them four weights, which is a 400-pound calf. Um, So anywhere between 400 pounds and like 650, um, kind of that window. And and so we sell, we actually sell on a video auction. So we don't um, generally take our cattle. We kind of take stuff in between big sales to the local auction barns, but we like to be able to get prices based on um, the well, really the global market, because the stuff that we have certified can be shipped to China and, and other places. So but the only way you're going to really get the, the prices for that is to do a video auction, which then when our cattle come up, it's shown to everybody across the country. And so we're getting bidding more competitive bids that way. So so that's the weights that we sell on and they go on a video auction. And then um, we Who ship everything. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that just has to be within the last 
five or six years or ten years? Oh no, or, we've I mean, been we've been doing um we've been doing the video auction for probably a little over twenty years. So you dress them up and put a little bow in their hair yeah. and walk them in front of a camera? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. We try to we try to, that's a way to look at it, yeah. <laughs> we try to put the best ones in the front. <laughs> but um but yeah, so then we have people bidding on our cattle from Nebraska and um, you know, or California or, or what have you. So, so you, at your selling weight between 400 and 650, these aren't ready for no, no, harvest no. yet. Yeah, no, no. They're going to go to a feedlot, which, which then they'll be finished on um, corn. Um, and so they'll get to around 1,200, and then that's when they're slaughtered. And then they'll go through, the, through that process and then to the packer. And how long from birth to your, your selling weight of four to, to 650, how long does it take to bring them up to this is that a six-month investment is that a 12-month it's about investment? um basically we're looking at about four to six months depending on what weight that we sell them at and you had made the comment about you you're more of a uh, of a grass grower than you are a <laughs> right because <laughs> it's it is so critical the the end result of that meat product is a result direct result of what they're eating it is, and um, something that we pride ourselves on, and my husband has spent quite a bit of time in, is looking at nutrition and managing the feed that we give um, our cattle, um, and getting them to getting them to where we want them to be in terms of quality when they leave the ranch. Because reputation is everything in the ranching business, and so um, you have to maintain a consistent product. And so we put a lot of work into genetics and nutrition, um, things like that. And when you said you're certified to ship anywhere, what? What goes into that certification? You just go fill out some paperwork down at the county office? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we have a lot of value-added programs for our cattle so that we can get the best price that we can. So, for instance, we're all natural. We're um, we on a certain vaccination program. We do um, a whole food certification, which is, is sort of like an animal care certification. So we're audited every year. Someone comes out and checks our facilities and makes sure that we um, – are handling our cattle in a certain way and we have certain um, infrastructure and so um, and then we also because of our our natural and our traceability which is really important we put special ear tags in the cattle before they leave our ranch which then follows them all the way through the process and so um, well allows the the process to follow them and so they will know if um, something happens in terms of food safety they'll know exactly where those cattle came from so the traceability and the natural allow us to sell cattle to buyers who are shipping to china in a one-year time frame, how many uh, calves will y'all sell off? Oh, I'm gosh. sure it varies year to year. Yeah. Um, in a one-year time frame, I would say we sell between, like, again, it depends on the weight, but I would say we're selling between 120 and 130 head. Uh, 120 and 130 head. Well, we'll do some math later just to calculate <laughs> what what does that relate to in meal served. Right. That's a lot of math. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're going to the bottom of the hour news break. We'll, we'll, we'll work on the numbers and then come back with a report here at Rosie on the House. Joining Stephanie Smallhouse, the president of Arizona Farm Bureau and uh, fifth generation rancher, along with spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, Julie Murphy. Well, if you're enjoying this program out on your patio or you're working in the garden and or anywhere outside in your, your, your little safe haven and maybe you got little gnats bugging at your ear or you're pulling out your harvest from your tomatoes and you got little chew marks and you want an organic way to eliminate the pests and bugs on your flowers or gardens captain jack's dead bug brew will kill on contact but yet so safe you can still eat the same day you apply the treatment you can apply it uh, just hook it up to your hose spray it where you see the insects or just as a coverage to your entire garden 
It's a lot of work to let go to little insects. You can get Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew by Bonide, family made in America, all over the state, including Treeland Nursery in Mesa, Summer Winds in Phoenix, Christopher's Garden in Lakeside. Joined with Stephanie Smallhouse and Julie Murphy from the Farm Bureau. We were talking as we were going to the break, uh, and we're just going to do round numbers because it's easy. Let's say 100 head a year sold at, uh, by the time it gets to harvest, you're about the 1,200 average weight is what you're looking for. About half of that is a beef product, meat product. And we'll cut, we'll break it down a little bit. How much is steak? How much is ground beef? How much brisket? So you're looking at about 60,000 pounds of meat. Let's say a third a pound per meal. You know, your, your chorizo for breakfast, your uh, cheeseburger for lunch, and your filet for dinner. About, about a, a third a pound average per meal. That'd be enough for about 6,500 people to eat for a day on beef, which is about 5% of the listening audience. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, I, when, I, when I spoke earlier, I was thinking more of like weaning weight. So it's more like three, three to six months is going to be when we wean them. So we're really taking care of them um, more like eight to 12 months, depending on what weight we sell them. So we're weaning them off between three and six, and three would be a little bit early. And from that point, how long does it then take them to get from let's say 500 pounds your average uh, between the 400 and 650 to get to 1200 is that a faster process on the feedlot they they've got the feedlots have um, this down to a science and so it's probably going to vary on on the feedlot but um, and I'm not I'm not as familiar with that side of it but um, but it's, it doesn't take long because they're maximizing the nutrition and the feed that they're giving them so and they're not open range they're they're right. not walking that weight off they get they get Large, an exact quick. ration. Yeah, they're and they're getting exact rations every day. So that like I said, they have it down to a science of, you know, how much it's gonna take for, for gain and, and how long. So have have I not heard correctly though that the average age of your steer when it's ready for market is anywhere from eighteen to twenty four months? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the life of a steer is two years. So that's why we need to appreciate when we have that fillet. You know, what's gone into the care and the quality, especially here. Um, Arizona is highly ranked in the high quality of the beef that we produce. And uh, we're known uh, with uh, our retail beef producers, their structure and style is a little bit different. Like you can go on to fill your plate and search for beef and Apple Pop 20 to 25 beef or ranchers here in Arizona that will sell you directly. And, of course, some of the things they're doing is completely different even in, if they're selling you directly – a lot of times they're carrying that that steer for the 18 to 24 months, correct? Yeah, some folks, um, well, you can either, you sell directly, so you're basically putting the investment in for that entire time. Right. Um, and, and some folks um, still don't sell direct, but they follow the process all the way through, so with their whole, with everything they sell. So. And you were talking about age. There was... Uh a time period we were trying to get one a year, but realized that wasn't a big enough turnaround time. And the gentleman that does our butchering, Bob Thrush, said, you know what, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, if you wait until at least 16 months, there's something that happens to the taste and flavor of your meat that you will appreciate. He said, even even if you get to that 1,200-pound mark early, you got to wait that time frame. Something happens to the meat. And this last one we had uh that we have currently every time you know we take a steak out and eat it we're like that's 
that's the best steak we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, when they actually grade meat, they look at the maturity of the animal. Part of what goes into a grade for the meat is the maturity of the animal, and so it makes a big difference. And the other thing that makes a big difference if you're if you're harvesting your own animal is um, how much time you hang or how how long you hang the meat. Um, and so we're we usually try to hang ours for like two weeks, which is doesn't happen in um, you know in normal settings. They're not going to do that in the in the general market but if you're harvesting your own animal the longer you can dry it out is the better and when you're you probably have a different uh, shopping experience than most of the consumers <laughs> when you go pick out your meat at the grocery store <laughs> yours is is probably a little bit different of a phrase but what what can you tell people as they're standing in the meat aisle and they're trying to they're laying out their you know you've, you've got your your recipes or your dishes that you're gonna have that week or you know, maybe you've got it down to science where I need you know, X amount of ground beef, X amount of steak, X amount of ribs. What are we looking for on the packaged end product? Well, I have to say that I don't look at the meat counter very often. <laughs> um, I look in my freezer. But, um, but yeah, I think, well, I have to say that the, reason, the thing about beef that makes it so great is that it's such a diverse um, animal in terms of cuts. And so if you're going into the store, um, you know, if you're feeling like just throwing something quick, you know, making something very quick, um, you've got cuts for that. If you want a real hearty meal, you know, you've got cuts for that. If you're looking to save money, you know, you can do that, spend a little money. So, you know, everything from street tacos to filet, I mean, that's coming from the same animal. So it, beef is a very diverse animal. So I think it just depends on what your what your budget is when you go into the store. Um, you want to look for um, the, the cheapest cut of meat is going to be select. That's going to be the lowest grade. And prime is going to be the highest grade. And depending on what you're eating with that meat depends on how low you can go on that. Obviously, if you're doing just a, a steak by itself, the better the meat, obviously. Right. You'd it's mention the center street of your plate. tacos yeah. or a stew or something that it's going to be cooked with. Right. Yeah, you can go down the line. You're not going to be able to tell once you get all those seasonings and other other items. Well, I mean, you could tell, but it's going to be... <laughs> if you're having... Yeah, be a meat snob then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're trying to show off and have important people coming over for dinner, you want to spend a little bit more on what's going to be at the center of your plate, so for sure. And to give a little props to Arizona Beef Council, because they do promote beef here in the state of Arizona, they re they're constantly remind us that there's an array, that same diversity of products that you can buy in the beef section is that same diversity with lean cuts. So if you have any concern about that, there's an array of lean cuts in the mix of the beef that you can choose. What is your favorite cut? Gosh, um, you know, it's, it's actually not steak um, for me personally. I, if, if I'm in a restaurant and I see steak or braised short ribs, I'm going to get the braised short ribs. I, I really like slow cooked um, or your roast and things like that. I, I sure do enjoy a filet, but um, to be honest with you, I go to those other cuts first. So, and that's what we eat most of at home because that's what you get most of on the animal. What all do you get from an animal? How many different cuts are there? Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a lot. I I don't think I can give you a number, but your basic cuts are going to be your steaks, your roasts, um, your hamburger, obviously your stew meats. Um, Let's start at the front of the animal. Obviously, the head. You don't want to eat well, that. We'll start at the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> start at that, that the, brisket. the brisket yeah. right up yeah. front. The brisket, mm -hmm. I have to say the brisket is one of my favorites as well. It's You have to have the time. You either have to have the time to cook it um, if you're not going to do something fancy with smoking and things like that, which I don't generally do. Um, but that's a real that's a real popular cut. Um, and then, you know, your obviously your rib roasts, your, your rib steaks, sirloins, 
um, chuck rows, arm rows, uh, rump rows, just moving down the animal. Um, there's a lot of different varieties. I've found when we try to sell direct, I found that most people don't really know how to cook roasts anymore. Um, I don't know if it's that they don't know or they don't have time. And so it's it's actually, I don't know that it's that popular of a cut anymore. You know, our our favorite is the tri-tip. Yeah. That, uh, why, why haven't they developed a way to get more, to, to raise like a, a steer that has like six or seven tri-tip cuts? <laughs> I would really appreciate well, you, that. I, I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. So we'll have to work on that. But you gotta you gotta go through a lot of steers to get four or five tri tips. I know. I know. It's the same with the brisket, right? So that <laughs> I had a guy ask me the other day. He said, "Well, he said, are you selling your beef direct?" And I said, "Well, you know, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. It's really difficult to do. A lot of people don't realize how difficult that is to do." And so um, I said, "Well, what are you looking for?" And he said, "Well, I cook a lot of brisket." And I said, well, it would take me a long time to get you a lot of brisket. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, people, a lot of times people don't realize there's only so many of those per animal. So, And, and you know, to your point, Stephanie, if a lot of people are losing their uh, capacity to cook a good roast, if you go to fillyourplate.org, we have an, a myriad of recipes, and some of those recipes are actually from Stephanie. We tried to commit to the majority of the recipes on Fill Your Plate coming from our farmers and ranchers. So if anyone knows how to cook, especially because they're raising a quality beef animal, we're going to defer to our ranchers, and you can get some really good counsel on how to cook a good roast. Exactly. So we that's one of the things we ran into when we were trying to sell direct is that um, you have to sell the whole animal. And so um, even when you're trying to market Arizona beef um, to something locally, certain people only want certain cuts and so it's it's a lot of um it's a lot of planning ahead of time to to be able to address that and so what we ended up with were a lot of roasts because people just thought oh I don't I don't have the time to do that or I just don't know how to do it so so we really have to appreciate our ranchers that do the direct market and we again we have several of them that do it on fill your plate and because of those challenges that's why you don't see as much of the direct market beef production as you do more of the traditional cow-calf operations like the Carlink Ranch. And you had mentioned uh, just the challenge of not knowing how to cook. I've, that is probably one of the things I've enjoyed the most about doing our own meat is it seems about half of it's ground beef when it comes back. You know, there's only so many cheeseburgers you can make. So to oh, find no recipes... I every day. <laughs> I yes, but, the, but 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 they're that, not three meals. Of right, it. right. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so finding different things to do with ground beef, uh, meatloaf, and uh, we're not big shepherd pie, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> so so finding something that you can do with those different things, and uh, you'd mentioned roast. Well, and not having the time. Well, that's a great thing for a crock pot and yeah. somebody that's a busy, active family. Being able to throw something in the crock pot and know that three hours when we get home from whatever event we're at, from the barrel race or from T-ball or whatever, right. it's it's ready at home, that's that's big. I think the most important thing with, with that type of cut is thinking ahead, um, right? So if, if, if somebody says, and I live this in my own life because I'm rushing around all the time, but being able to know, okay, I'm, I want to cook a roast, so I need to take it out you know, at this time and be ready to cook it. So. Part of it is simply planning, but for hamburger, if you're getting tired of a cheeseburger, go to Fill Your Plate, and it's one of my recipes. It's called Easy Mexican Casserole, and it's just a pound of hamburger. It's one of the easiest recipes you can do, and it's so good. A pound of hamburger and? And um, 
of course you're going to have to ask me that, but there's... <laughs> well, you said it was your recipe, yeah. so I thought well, um, that was a safe question. You add a can of beans. Um, uh, uh, you'll have to go see the recipe because I only do it about... I do it for friends of mine every time we have our Christmas dinner, and you'd think I'd had it, have it in my head, but it's there and We'll go plate. check it out, fillyourplate.org, yes. Mexican yeah. casserole. Yep, it's real easy. All right, we've got one segment left with Julie Murphy of the uh, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau and president of the Arizona Farm Bureau, Stephanie Smallhouse, and also fifth-generation rancher here in Arizona. More at Rosie on the House right after this. The number probably changes daily, Stephanie, but how many other beef ranchers are in Arizona? Well, I think the statistics say that we have about 6,000 folks raising beef, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're ranching. Um, I think it's closer to about 1,500 ranches. 1,500 ranches, yeah. the other feedlots, dairy. Um, yeah, that's just the ranches, and you bring in the feedlots and the dairies. That's a lot more cattle. And when we're talking, we've been talking beef today, but from a cattle, there's a lot more. Dairy, Going into June, it's dairy month. We're going to have the cars in. Right. Uh, I'll probably drag in a Rovi or two, uh, <laughs> yeah. talking talking dairy products. And there's still a lot more. We've got 600 pounds of meat from a, a steer that we've harvested. Yeah. That other 600 pounds doesn't go to – it's not like it goes to waste. Oh, no. The amount of things that you don't even realize are made from animal byproducts, you, you couldn't live a daily life without Oh, no. Yeah. There's, um, you know, I mean, there's beef products and crayons. <laughs> I mean, your toothbrush hairs. So, um, or bristles, not hairs. <laughs> Hope you don't hair, have hair in your toothbrush. But anyway. Um. Oh, nice. <laughs> Someone's brushing their teeth right now, too, gagging. <laughs> it's early morning. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, your obvious things, you know, your nail polish. Leathers, the yeah, white from that, sugar comes yep. from animal fat. Uh, excuse me, animal ash. Yeah. Um, downy, plastic bags, uh, perfume. All sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. So people just think, yeah. well, if I don't, you know, I don't eat beef or whatever, but they don't know that they're impacted by it every single day. So pretty and amazing. Our two largest commodities come from our animal ag, which is dairy and beef. And those two commodities, sometimes it's as much as like beef has generated a cash receipts of a billion, uh, but they go back and forth. Uh, I want to say this particular last cycle with USDA, dairy is ahead of beef. So it goes back and forth, but it just proves how important livestock is to the ag industry because these are our two top ag commodities in the state of Arizona anyway. And that's probably, you know, th there's going to be some exceptions uh, right. depending on weather and conditions, but that's right. probably pretty, pretty common across the rest of the states. It, it's a dominant industry it's for the ag exactly it's very important to our dairy and, and our beef it's just very important we have products. Um, cattle and, in every county in arizona yep and you had mentioned you're really more of a grass grower than a a beef uh, rancher or, or yeah i think of and a lot of the people that are in ag grow stuff to supply the beef <laughs> exactly <laughs> farms. yeah so it's it's a very integrated system so we we've got a lot of um, alfalfa growers in the state and uh and so a lot of that's going to go into hay or, or you've got your oat hay and things like that that are going to supply ranchers during those times when they're feeding. 
We've got uh, a friend that works in the San Joaquin Valley in California, and he sells molasses to feedlots. His equation from the right amount of molasses to beef and how it marbleizes in your finished product and all the, you know, it cures cancer and sneeze. You know, <laughs> that's his miracle drug is, is molasses, too. But, I mean, that's all he does every day is drive around to his farms and check on his molasses silos that drip into their feet or where they're mixing the corn and just make sure his measurements for the molasses are right for that finished touch on, on the beef. I mean, who, molasses, who would have? Th- <laughs> right. I, this must taste pretty good, that beef. But and, um and we as cotton farmers even know that we contribute to it because of the crushed cotton seed. Mm-hmm. That's something that's fed to cattle, both dairy and beef, I believe. Yeah. So there's just that interconnection. And we don't realize how nutritionally valuable protein, meat protein is. And there's more studies coming out showing that, especially in the first five years of our development as humans, that one of the best and healthiest proteins is the meat protein, especially beef, because it's... It's just that whole black blend of vitamins and nutrients. You've got your zinc, you've got your protein, and those that mix is important as we develop brain power. We can focus better in our schooling if we're eating a good balanced diet that includes some protein b- meat. And probably the most critical question for the entire room, and, and this is uh, opinions vary, but rare or off the bone? I like both, but I do like I do like my meat rare, medium rare. It's typically what I order. Yeah, medium rare. I think so. Me- just just warm it <laughs> off the bone. Just still it's still making noise. Huh? Just warm it, and it's, I'm fine. It's sacrilegious if you overcook your meat to me. I think um, and then as Julie was talking about, there's been a lot of studies done that animal protein is very important for the development of the brain for for kids, and so they've done studies that show whether it's protein coming from milk or from beef or you know Eggs, other whatever. Yeah, it shows that test scores increase um, quite a bit for children that have that in their diet. So it's science. It's science. <laughs> Dang it. So I have to say, on the way in here, I was listening to the show, and it said that we were going to be doing a segment about naked gardening and i was totally unprepared so i'm really glad that we're talking about beef <laughs> it is national garden in the new day today oh. there there's select things we observe here at rosie on the house and that's not one <laughs> that, you usually let that one go but but i was curious someone mentioned we'll that to beef me moths. yeah someone mentioned it to me so i googled it and you don't want to google that you should not D- do not google that yeah. some things can't be unseen <laughs> some things just can't be unseen now, for somebody listening, it, a huge infrastructure, a fi- fifth-year generation ranch. I mean, that's not a reality that we can live, but we can all be Farm Bureau members and support the industry. I mean, it's what, 60 bucks a year? Absolutely. That's, um, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> um, that's the part of it is that a lot of people think with Farm Bureau, well, I'm not a farmer and I'm not a rancher. Well, um, if you're an insurance holder, um, you can get that um, that membership or you have to have that membership. But anybody can go online and get a membership from Farm Bureau to be a supporting person. And I get my monthly mailer. It's got coupons and discounts and group buying value. All sorts of neat things to be a Farm Bureau member. And even if you don't take advantage of that, that 60 a year supports the ag industry, which supports what's on your plate right now. Yep. As a member. Supports food security, too. (laughs) Yep. Thank you. Thank you all for your time this Saturday morning. AZFB.org or fillyourplate.org. Thank you so much.